Our scripture is Luke 12, verses 32 through 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a seed our hearts, the soil, till up the ground, whether it be fallow, whether it be parched, make the soil ready for the seed of your word so that it may germinate, grow, and bear fruit for our lives, our neighborhoods, our relationships, and the whole world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's World War II. France has already been occupied by German forces. And in a little village in the mountains of South France, a Jewish girl knocks on the door of a house that she finds. Somebody pointed her to it. She's been on foot for days, alone and hungry and afraid. A woman answers the door. Her name is Magda Trocme. She's Italian, but she's married to the French pastor of the main church in town. Magda sees the girl standing there. She asks no questions. She does not hesitate. Instantly and instinctively, Magda says, naturally, come in, come in. This was the beginning of the remarkable true story of how a village of 500 people called Les Chambon harbored at least as many refugees from the Nazis, mostly Jews, and assisted perhaps 5,000 people to safety. It's not a story that you would uh, find in a movie. If, if they made a movie of this, it wouldn't go um, the way we would expect. Usually the, the movie version is, is, is all about how this little cloistered town really struggles with the decision of what to do about these Jewish refugees. And, and the climax is when they finally decide to, to let them in. 
Here's an example of how this story is different. This same person, Magda, who opened the door to the first Jewish refugee, many months later, opens the door to two policemen. At this point, it is well known by everyone, even the French occupying authorities, that Les Chambon is harboring refugees. And so the police have come to arrest her husband, the pastor who has been leading the entire operation. But he's not home. And so Magda says, well, why don't you come in, have a seat in the dining room, and we'll wait for him. And then at some point, it's dinner time. She and her family sit down to supper, and she says to the two policemen, why don't you join us for supper? Later, she was asked how she could be so generous to the men who were about to take her husband away, perhaps to his death. She replied, it was dinner time. The food was ready. What do you mean by such foolish words as good or decent? In the decades after the war, the people of the village were asked repeatedly what made them so brave, so good, And the reply was some version of this. How can you call us good? We were doing what had to be done. What else could help them? And what has all this to do with goodness? Things had to be done, that's all, and we happened to be there to do them. You must understand that it was the most natural thing in the world to help these people. See, there was no crucial point of decision. There was no wrestling and tearing, and there was no community division. These people showed up, and they responded. The most natural thing in the world, but why not for other communities? Why was there no climactic decision, and, and why was there so little fear and no hesitation? This is what we're exploring this morning. And we're going to be guided by the scripture I read, Luke 12, as I tell more of the story of Le Chambon. There are, I've identified anyway, three traits to this community, three things that prepared them for this moment. The first one is in the very first verse of uh, the passage in Luke 12. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. They weren't afraid because they had received the gift of the kingdom. And what does that mean? Everybody needs something larger than themselves to believe in. We can't help it. There's something in us that is drawn to the sacred. There's something in us that wants to work for something larger than ourselves. It might be a homeland. It might be a nation. It might be some sort of sacred purpose or meaning to our life. When people don't have this, as it says in the Proverbs, they perish. France is the birthplace of one of our world's most common sacred purposes, the sacred purpose of a nation. In the 18th century, 
The French Revolution was sort of the birth of nationalism, the birth of, 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 of a sort of um, deification of the nation, the religion of the nation. They took the cathedral in Notre Dame and turned it into the Temple of Reason. And they had a little flame lit there that they would bow down to. At the same time, they eradicated every version of any other religion, whether it's Christianity or whatever. They eradicated every trace of it because they knew that any other religion would be in competition of the religion of France. The guillotine was in constant use. They had to grease the runners to keep it going. Violence was at the core of this. It led directly into Napoleon's march across Europe. And it had its final culmination in the two world wars at the beginning of the last century. Yes, religion has been dark and, and sometimes tragic, but nothing was as deadly as the full culmination of nationalism in those two world wars where we relied on technology and we defended our kind against them. The people of Les Chambon are directly connected to that story. All their ancestors was a group of people called the Huguenots. The Huguenots were reformers, um, specifically uh, part of the reformed uh, group that was begun by Calvin. And uh, they were tolerated for only about 10 years. And that was it. They were brutalized, almost completely wiped out. They got used to worshiping in pine forests because they weren't allowed to worship anywhere else. Uh, pastors were, were spirited through the dead of night from community to community just to keep it around. This was the story that formed the people of Les Chambon. So for instance, when the boarding house was filling up with Jews, they had a little boarding house there in Les Chambon, and it was, it was filling up with Jews that they were passing off as just travelers, Frenchmen passing through. They would dress them up as Frenchmen. And uh, when the head of the boarding house, when she was asked about why she would risk so much for them, she says, oh, we've been doing this forever. We have a long history of doing exactly what we're doing now. Trachme himself, Andre Trachme, who was the pastor at the time, used to connect this, this little community of Les Chambon, not just to the story of the Huguenots, but to the story of Israel itself. And he would talk about how in Israel they would, they would um, have encounters with mighty people like Pharaoh. And he would equate Pharaoh to General Pétain, the 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 head of occupied forces in France. And he would say, in spite of all of this, the people of Israel not only endured, <clears throat> but they welcomed the stranger. They had received the gift of the kingdom. They understood Jesus' uh, kingdom not as something far away, not as something you get when you die. It was that but it was also something that they were receiving now. They could see that God had given them the gift of participating 
in the reign of Jesus Christ. And that this meant resistance, but joyful resistance against the godless kingdoms, the violence, the violent kingdoms of the time. So that's, that's the first thing that Le Chambon had. The gift of the kingdom. It wasn't always at odds with human governments. Sometimes Le Chambon was quite peaceful. They didn't look for a fight. They didn't try to be at odds. But they did have the ability to discern when it was time to resist. We don't always have that. They had the ability to discern when a nation is in conflict with the gift of the kingdom. The ability to discern that it is, that ability is the next trait of Le Chambon, the next trait of a faithful community. Here it is in Luke 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder how that verse strikes you. If, if, you, if you hear that verse, sell all your possessions and give to the homes, and, and, you, and there's a little bit of like, that's good. That's a good sign. Because Le Chambon had the ability to take the words of Jesus seriously. Now, Christians have interpreted this in different ways. Faithful Christian communities, some of them have said, you know what, yes, let's, let's sell it all. And we'll only share things in common. Lots of communities have done this. Others communities say, let's only hold what we need and look at everything that we happen to have as a gift and not as something that we possess. But here's the thing that they all have in common is they all took the words of Jesus seriously. They didn't pick out, you know, they didn't come to the Bible as Thomas Jefferson famously did with a pair of scissors. They took it all read it all, and wrestled with every word of it. Different conclusions sometimes, but wrestled with every word of it. Love our enemies? What does that mean? They didn't have a clever theological way out of it. They wrestled with it mightily. The high-minded theologians of the Reformation had very clever ways to sneak through some of this stuff. But the faithful communities would not let go of a single word. That's the second trait of a faithful community. As Trochme said to his congregation, if Jesus really walked upon this earth, why do we keep treating him as if he is a disembodied and possibly idealistic ethical theory? It's a good question. If he existed, God has shown us in flesh and blood what goodness is for flesh and blood people. I mean, we, we, could, we could just live in our minds. You know, we could live in the academy. We could live in ivory towers, but we don't, do we? We are flesh and blood. And our Savior also is flesh and blood. And he has told us how to live. Le Chambon took that seriously. That doesn't mean everything Jesus says is always clear and that we always agree and it's just as simple. We just open it up and say, look, he just says this, easy peasy. 
The people of Le Chambon actually met weekly to wrestle with all of this, to work out how to live Jesus' teachings. But it wasn't some academic thing, or, or it also wasn't a mysterious kind of enlightenment sort of thing either. Most of what Jesus says is pretty clear. Love your enemies, tell the truth, insist on reconciling, don't put your trust in wealth or powerful people, be careful what you look at, be careful what you bring into your heart, keep your promises, always stand by the poor. That's a foundation. That's what Les Chambon had. So that's the second thing. The third trait of this faithful community, the thing that gave them a foundation, is their openness always to God's work, to God's surprises, to God's sovereignty, and to the stranger. They're one and the same. Listen to what it says in Luke 12. Be dressed for action. Have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Gene mentioned this last week when he was talking about the storm that hit Wellington and and the importance of always being ready, and it could come at any minute. They understood that Christ could meet them somehow in any minute. And most often, Christ meets us in the stranger. In the stranger. There's a story about how um, the two leaders of the community, Trachme, the pastor, and Edward Teast, he was head of the school, they were taken to an internment camp because of their crimes. After a month of being there, they were offered a release. But they were going to have to sign a document that said that they would promise to obey the government of Pitan no matter what. They refused. The other prisoners there urged them to sign it. Just do it. Just do it. It doesn't matter. And they refused to sign it. The next morning, they were released on order of the prime minister of France. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows how. Nobody even knows how the prime minister knew about them. But they were released on that order. Days later, the rest of the prisoners were taken to Poland and Silesia, labor camps, concentration camps, and very few of them survived. Here's another story. Uh, The church warden of the church, her job, her name is Amelie, and her job was to ring the bells. And she was ordered to ring the bells on a very important military holiday to celebrate the occupation, and she refused to do it. Other people in the town, not everybody was on board with this, but other people in the town said, you have to do it. They'll come, they'll come for us if you don't ring the bells. You have to do it. And she refused. Two women came up, and they were going to ring the bells by force. They were going to remove her. And suddenly, a huge downpour came, and everybody had to run. But the role of the stranger is the most significant. For Trachme, the pastor, it was a stranger 
who helped him see the practicality of Jesus' teachings about nonviolence and loving enemies. And that was a German soldier who taught him this, this French Parisian. Trachme himself was a stranger. He grew up in Paris. He was a sort of sophisticated guy. He studied at Union Theological Seminary in New York. He married an Italian woman. They were strangers to this little town, and he was welcomed into it and put right at the center of it. And, of course, the stranger, the girl, the Jewish girl, who shows up at Magda's door and says, please help me. And Magda's instant reply, naturally, come in, come in. It was just in their instinct to welcome. They welcomed her as naturally as anyone, and instead of becoming swallowed up in the evil of World War II, they showed the world how it was possible to absorb all that violence, absorb all that evil, and turn it into good. After all of this, some people wanted to know the story of Le Chambon, and so uh, Trachme, who survived inexplicably, um, he, would, he would sometimes give some talks on this. And uh, he was asked whether other congregations should take a similar stance and make similar decisions. And surprisingly, he said no. He says, because it's not about a decision. You don't just wake up one day, like I was describing in the movie. You don't get together and say, are we going to help these people and risk our lives and risk our very being? He says, you have to build the foundation. It won't happen without the foundation. We should not think of Les Chambon as special or an exception. Other communities actually were similar but they were in different situations or they were in different times. The thing that is shared across time, across place, are these three things that I mentioned. Receiving the gift of the kingdom above and beyond any other kingdom, obedience to Jesus' commands as the way to life, and finally, an openness to God's surprising acts, especially in the stranger. That's true of church and desert fathers in the first 500 years. We can see the same thing in the Celtic pilgrims and in the Protestant refugees in the middle of Europe in the 13th through 17th century. And it's still true today. There is absolutely nothing that can shake this foundation because it is a gift from the Father. His Son, our King, is Lord above all. So we have nothing to fear. And not only is it a foundation amidst the shifting sands of politics, it's also a secure place from which we are to welcome others adrift in the storm of this world. There are a lot of refugees right now, whether they're literally from other countries or they're refugees from crumbling institutions, refugees from broken families, refugees from a rapacious economy. Whatever it is, there's a lot of refugees adrift looking for stability. 
looking for a foundation. This is a time when a lot of institutions feel shaky. We've depended on institutions for a really long time. Sometimes they're shaky because people have acted horribly. People are corrupt. Sometimes they're shaky just because people want to attack them. People don't like them. Whatever the reason, we wonder, what is it that's worth fighting for? What is it that's worth preserving? And what is it that should be abandoned? But the truth is that what happens depends very little on us. We need the humility to know that the great powers, the great institutions, and what the Psalms call gods with little g's, they're not up to us. We can't control them. They will do what they do. But we are not powerless. Not at all. We worship the one who, though he was God, became the stranger, became the refugee, even to death. But the Father welcomed him into his love. And by welcoming Jesus into his love at the resurrection, he welcomed all of us, everyone Jesus wanted to bring with him. And Jesus brings all of us with him. It's a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of hope, and a kingdom of love. Do not fear, little flock. Let us approach the kingdom where Christ stands at the gate and says to all of us, naturally, come in, come in. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the kingdom in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the stranger has become the host and that you welcome all of us. Lord, as we are welcomed to your kingdom, let us look over our shoulders and see who else needs to be welcomed. And let us rest in the foundation that you give us through scripture, through prayer, through love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.